morning, everyone. My name is Matt Rupert. I serve alongside Brielle in the campus ministry here in New Jersey. You can tell our college students are still tired from Thanksgiving, but that's all right. We are going to continue our series talking about learn from Jesus. And I'm excited to talk about that, but I think it would only be appropriate. Shauna kind of stole the thunder there. But I want to talk about a few people who have recently put some, uh, some letters behind their name. And as some of you know, Christian Pisco recently got his MD. I don't know if Christian's here, but he is a doctor now, which is very impressive. And Shauna was just accepted into her PhD program. You know, the funny reality is that we are all forever learners in whatever capacity we're in. They're just smart enough to get some letters behind their name. You know what I mean? Now, we are learners. We're forever learners. And that's what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to be a student. It's to be an apprentice. It's to be the shadow of the person that you're following with the intention of one day becoming like them. To be a disciple is an intentional decision that we make. And it's funny, it's because as a disciple of Jesus, unlike other programs and different things where you might become a master one day, you kind of always remain a student of Jesus. Some of y'all have been here for 25, 30 years, and you're still a student of Jesus. You haven't graduated to Jesus. Um, you're still learning. And it's funny because even the word discipling, I'll be honest, kind of a made-up word that our church co-opted. And you might have different experiences with the word discipling. But I think if you take a step back and just think about what it means, disciple, I-N-G, it's helping someone else in a very healthy and holistic way, helping someone else find the posture of a student of Jesus again. That's all it is. It's helping one another get before Jesus and learn and remember, hey, I'm just a student. I'm just learning. I have not arrived yet, and I have so much room to grow. Today, we're going to continue to talk about learning from Jesus. And you, for many of us, maybe that's reading a spiritual book that's been sitting on your shelf for the last 15 years. That's a good way to learn. Maybe that is taking a class and going to school and taking you know, a higher education class in your discipleship of Jesus, whatever that might be. But today I want to specifically focus on something I believe that Jesus really takes us to school and teaches us. And it's not in the classroom. It's OTJ. It's on the job. I think that's where Jesus does some of his greatest development of our souls. In fact, I think that's where greatest, Jesus does the greatest development of our souls. It's in the heat. It's on the wild. It's on the floor. It's where failure is possible and mastery takes years to accomplish. It's out there where it's scary. It's confusing. It's difficult. It stretches you. But that's where Jesus wants to bring us because he cares about our development. And so we're going to talk about learning from Jesus, but learning on the job. And we're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 14. So you can turn there with me, or we'll have the slides on the screen behind me. But we're going to look at a story where Jesus took someone to a place that was definitely not a classroom. It was between 3 and 6 a.m. on the roaring waters near Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 14, the Bible reads, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side 
while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind and, the, and when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when he climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Jesus takes Peter out into the wilderness, and he learns a very important lesson. I think this must have been a lesson that shaped Peter's view of God and of Jesus forever going forward. There's a lot that we can learn from Jesus about learning from Jesus in this story. You know, God's plan for growth has always been the process of stretching us outside of our comfort zone. You know, wherever your spiritual comfort zone is, growth really doesn't happen a whole lot in there. But it's the process of stepping outside of that comfort zone where you're kind of, you're going at a speed that's a little faster than you're used to. You get the wobbles, you get uncomfortable, but eventually you find an enlarged spiritual comfort zone. And then it happens again and again and again and again and again, and it doesn't end until you arrive home with him. And the hope is that after years of following Jesus, your spiritual comfort zone has expanded to a new place where the first, the young you, looks at you now and goes, who on earth are you? You are different. You've been transformed. But the process of being transformed is often through discomfort. And so we're going to look at this story in Matthew chapter 14. And I have to ask, what on earth prompted Peter to ask Jesus to get out of the boat and walk with him? That is a ridiculous thing. Who in their right mind asks this? Where did he even come up with the idea? It had never been done before, and he had never seen anyone besides Jesus walk on water. It would have been easy for Peter to go, well, that's just Jesus. I can't do that. But instead he goes, well, how about me, Lord? Can I come out on the water with you? And Jesus says, come. What prompted Peter to ask? Well, I think if you have to think going forward, Peter had so many experiences with Jesus that likely enabled him to be a little bit risky with him. What had Peter already seen? He saw Jesus heal the sick, drive out demons. He saw Jesus preach the Sermon on the, mil the Mount, not the milk, Sermon on the Mount. He healed man of leprosy. He calmed the raging storm. He forgave and healed the paralyzed man. He raised a dead girl back to life. He saw a woman who was bleeding for 12 years be healed. He healed the blind and the mute man, and he fed 5,000 people with a little bit of fish and bread. 
So Peter knew who Jesus was. He knew who he was capable of. And so when he addresses Jesus out on the water, he says something very important. He says, Lord, if it is you, let me come to you. And then when he falls, he says the same thing, Lord, save me. Peter knew who Jesus was. And because he knew who Jesus was, it changed what he was willing to expect from Jesus. When he knew who Jesus was, it enabled him to dare and do the impossible with Jesus. Church, what have you seen Jesus do in your life? I love what Shauna just said about looking backwards and just seeing the abundance, the miracles, the ways that he's moved, the ways where it looked like chaos and storms. And then not only did he navigate you through that, he blessed you in a crazy way. You know, we could take time and just share about all the ways that God has worked powerfully through your life. But when we focus on what he has done and what he is capable of doing, it changes what we believe he's, he's able to do going forward. Who is your Jesus? Is your God small? Our expectations often reveal our view of who we believe God is. I don't know if you ever had these thoughts, but the thought of no one in my office can become a disciple, period. Maybe you haven't said that, but have you thought that, right? No one on my campus is open. No one, blah, 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 whatever it is, we have these thoughts. I cannot repent and overcome this sin. It's going to plague me the rest of my life. God, if you knew my kids, oh, if you knew my kids, change isn't possible, right? Maybe you have these thoughts. Maybe not, and sorry if you do, but we can have, we can have these limitations that we impose on God because we make God so small. But Peter knew that Jesus was Lord. Peter knew that Jesus was Lord of the universe. And that him walking on water really wasn't that difficult for God to enable him to do. What can God do in your life that you've never seen done anywhere else? I love that Peter goes there. I love that Peter comes up with a dream and an idea and something that is just flat out crazy. And he tries it anyway. And he is the only person aside from Jesus to have walked on water. I tried it, and it did not work. I've tried it multiple times. It was one step, my foot sank. It was a second step, I'm still faithful, and my second foot sank. But Jesus enabled Peter to try. I'm serious, it was terrible. Um, but Jesus enabled Peter to experience something that he's never seen done anywhere else. So Peter steps out of the boat. The wind was tormenting the boat, and Peter got out of the only somewhat sure thing and steps out onto the water. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. You have to be willing to leave the comfort of your boat in order to walk on the wild side, to live life to its fullest. Thank you. Sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> to live life to its fullest, to, to experience the adventure of a lifetime. The boat represented certainty and safety 
but the water is faith. It's a paradox of inexperience, yet trust, and that's where God operates. God, Jesus calls God, sorry, Jesus calls Peter out of the boat. You know, as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that Jesus is not often in the boat. Jesus is out on the waters. And if we are going to experience the life of following him and walking in his footsteps, even if it be on water, we have to be willing to get out of our boats. It's our familiarity, it's our familiarity, Jesus, Louise, what a word. It's our familiarity with getting out of the boat that accelerates our growth. And I believe that faith is a bit like a muscle that we work out, right? If you're constantly stretching the arm of faith, if you're constantly doing things that get you out of your boat and make you uncomfortable, like we said, your ability to grow expands. Your faith increases. However, faith also like a muscle, when not used, begins to atrophy. And when your muscles begin to atrophy, your body makes um, certain workarounds and compromises in ways to work around a broken muscle, but we neglect it by faith. You know, we can live lives as followers of Jesus. We can live lives as church attendees without living by faith. And that's a dangerous place to be. But Jesus encourages us, hey, experience it. Walk on the water with me. I want to give an illustration here of, uh, anybody know what this is, a VCR, <laughs> a VHS, old school. Um, I want you to imagine that, that your life is over and that you go before God and you and him go into a room together and there's two chairs there. God clearly has the bigger chair and you sit down and in front of you is one of those old TVs and on it they have a VCR that says your name and the words, what might have been. And he puts the VCR into the slot and you watch. Imagine seeing all that God might have done with your life if you let him. Imagine seeing what God might have done with your financial resources if you had trusted him to be generous. Imagine seeing what might, God might have done if your giftedness, if you gave your giftedness to him and you, you dared enough. To, you gave enough to be daring. Imagine if you saw your relationships, if you had trusted him enough to be fully uh, truthful and fully loving. Imagine what you would see in your character if you had dared to confess sin, acknowledge temptation, and pursue growth. I don't know if we're going to sit before God and watch that VCR with him one day. But I don't want to sit before him and read what might have been done, but instead to read what was. That we dared, that we dreamed, that we got out of the boat and by faith saw him do amazing things through us. Church, what are your boats? Where are you going for comfort? Where is your safety net and your safety zone? That's very difficult to get out of. I'm going to read an excerpt from the book. Um, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat by John Ortberg. And so instead of 
This is a safe thing I'm going to do because he gives names, uh, and I'm just going to read the names that he gives. And so if your name is this, I'm not outing you, I promise. And so here it goes, talking about different boats. For John Novak, it was, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, for David, it was his vocation. He's been a builder for 35 years. He's in his late 50s now, but he has gnawed his whole life by the sense that God was calling him into church ministry. He has quieted his conscience by giving away a lot of money and doing many good things, but he can't shake off the haunting fear that he has missed his calling, and he's afraid that perhaps it's too late. For Kathy, it is a relationship. She's been involved for years with a man whose commitment to her is ambivalent at best. He is sending her signals that everyone else can read clearly. He never initiates the language of affection, avoids talking about their future, and creates as much distance from her as possible. But she never pursues discovering his true feelings. She's too frightened. She doesn't believe that she could handle losing him. Her boat is pretty shaky, but she's scared to leave. Doug's boat is secrecy. He's addicted to pornography, and it's a mild addiction, so he tells himself it's mostly adult movies or business trips and occasional sprees on the internet, nothing that can cost him a job or a marriage so far, but no one knows. He's afraid to admit it. He's afraid to get help, and secrecy is killing him, but it's his boat. Kim's boat is her dad. She raises her children, keeps her house, and pursues a career designed to make her dad happy. And the irony is that her dad is not happy, and nothing she can do will ever be enough to please him. But the thought of crossing him terrifies her. His approval is a pretty leaky vessel, but it's her boat. What is your boat? In the area of your life that you are shrinking back from, fully and courageously trusting in God. Fear will tell you what your boat is. Leaving it may be the hardest thing you ever do, but if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Church, what is your boat? Where are you hiding behind because it's comfortable? Well, where is Jesus calling you out of to walk on the wild side with him? Peter failed. I put failed in quotations. Because I don't know if you can really say that he failed. We say that Peter failed in this story, but I think there were 11 bigger failures sitting in the boat. The worst failure is not to sink in the waves. The worst failure is to never have gotten out of the boat. When we live and dream and dare greatly, whether we make the mistakes or what, we're learning and developing and growing and you cannot fail. What would you do if failure was not a consideration on your part? How would you live if you weren't afraid to fail? And if you realized that failure didn't actually mean failure, but it was the benefit of growth. I wanna encourage the campus ministry for a second and highlight them. And it's weird to do that when talking about failure, but we're cool with that. You know, the thing I love about our college students and getting to work with the college students, and I know it's true of the teens as well, is that they don't have a whole lot of experience. They don't have a lot of, you know, moments to tack on their past and go, look at what God did, and look at what God did, and look at what God did. But instead, as young people, as followers of Jesus, 
they've been willing to dare and fail greatly, but get back up and be developed. Some of the things I love seeing in the campus ministry is the radical nature that they're willing to deal with their sin. And I'm sure I could say this about other areas of the church as well, but I just know the campus ministry, and it's good to learn from young Christians sometimes, as well as uh, the more seasoned ones of you out there. But I've been inspired by seeing how several of our brothers recently have gotten together and made what they're calling radical purity plans. And they're saying, man, going forward, these are the scriptures I'm holding on to. These are the decisions that I'm making. This is what I'm going to do. And it's been so inspiring seeing that because even when or even if they make mistakes or compromise in those areas, they've been willing to get back up and they're in different places now than they've ever been before. And it's so inspiring seeing their example. I've been inspired by seeing in the nature of failure, um, my brother Steve Caiaphas. Where's Steve at? There you go, bro. Steve has really set the way in being willing to have hard conversations that don't always feel good. And Steve has had some conversations, then comes back to me and goes, how did that go? What do you think about that? I go, oh, bro, you probably shouldn't have said that. But he was willing to engage with the hard conversations because we know that hard conversations lead to soft hearts, but soft conversations lead to hard hearts. And so he's willing to engage, and he's made some mistakes, and God bless his heart, but there's been a willingness to say, hey, bro, I'm concerned about what I see. And he's leaned in. He's gotten out of his boat and walked by faith. The other day, I was on the phone with Mark Persing. Many of you know Mark. I was on the phone with him at his old school, Montclair State, and I was walking on the phone. I, was, I wasn't walking on my phone. I was walking with my phone. And as I'm on the phone with Mark, talking to him about some event that we have coming up, I bump into Faith and a girl named Naya. And Faith is a disciple in the campus ministry and her friend Naya. And I bump into them, and they're about to go out sharing their faith together. I go into Panera, and then one of the brothers is sitting in Panera, and he comes behind me, gives me a bear hug. It's like, Mark, I'm sorry, one second. Then I walk outside, and Brielle is going to share her faith with Shania with some other people. And then I go and I meet up with A.B. And, and John and some of the guys are also sharing their faith. They're in a Bible study. And what's so cool is just walking within a 20-minute span is just seeing people who are willing to put their neck out there and fail, who are willing to be rejected, who were rejected, who afterwards was like, man, that was U-G-L-Y. That was ugly. But they grew and they developed and they matured they are willing to risk failure. We're going to close with this thought. The disciples who were in the boat, our, uh, our jokers over there, they respond in Matthew 14, 30, 31. They say, surely you are the son of God. This is the first time in Matthew's account where anybody says, Jesus, you are the son of God. And I like, I like to imagine that it's not because Jesus walked on water. I like to imagine it's not because Jesus fed 5,000 people. But I like to imagine that people recognize Jesus' deity because he gave an average Joe the opportunity to experience a miracle. They go, if Peter could do that, it wasn't just you, Jesus. You enabled him to do that. Oh my gosh, you are the son of God. 
Sometimes our boldness and our faith enables others to praise and recognize Jesus in a completely different way. We know the scripture in 1 Timothy 4.16, this is the NASB. But listen to what it says. Pay close attention to yourself and to the teachings. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. We're familiar with that verse, life and doctrine. But what if? What if this wasn't a, 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 a scripture about salvation and forgiveness? But instead, what if Paul is telling Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely, because when you do that, you, partnering with God, help save people from a life of mediocrity. What if with you, partnering with God, save people from living lives without faith? What if you, when partnering with God, your example calls people to do things they never thought were possible. Brothers and sisters, when you walk out on faith, when you walk out of the boat and walk on waters you've never tread before, you have no idea what example you are setting for those around you. You are helping see, you're helping for your sake and for others to see Jesus in a new light. I want to close out here. Instead of me simply just saying, amen, we're done. I want to do something we haven't done for a long time. And this comes from Matthew chapter 7, about the wise man building his house on the rock. And he says, those of you who hear my words and put them into practice is like someone who builds his house on the rock. The wind comes, the storms come, beat against the house, but it does not fall. I want us to take five minutes where you are sitting with the people around you. If you're not sitting by somebody, go find somebody or take out your journal but I want you to take five minutes for the people next to you to share, what did I hear today from this lesson? What is the thing I heard? What's the one thing that stuck out with, with me? Maybe it's your boat. Maybe it's your decision to get out of the boat. What are you hearing and what are you going to practice? And so right now for the next five minutes, I want you to turn to the people next to you. Maybe it's two people or just one person. And I want you to share together a little bit of, hey, here's what I heard and here's what I'm gonna do about that. Does that sound good? And then we'll come back together and we'll close out in prayer. All right, church. It's amazing hearing you guys. I wasn't listening to all of you, but it's amazing hearing you guys talk amongst each other. I would encourage you to keep the conversations going. Let's, uh, let's close out in prayer together before we sing one last song. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for how patient, how amazing, how strong, how willing you are to bear with our trappings and our failure and our mistakes, yet how even when we make mistakes, even when we step out by faith with just a mustard seed of faith, how you really want to just blow our minds and bless the things that we do in great ways. Thank you for being patient in our development. Thank you for opening the doors for our growth. We pray, Father, with this room, this room of people who are desperately trying to follow you, I pray that as they step out on faith, we see crazy things happen. We see people fall in love with you. We see families change. We see repentance and growth in each person here. We love you, Father, and your sons, let me pray. Amen.